Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, guys. Come on, please stop it. Stop it. Come on, can we give praise to God this morning? Come on, can we give praise to God this morning? Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Stop. Man, what a privilege and honor it is to be with you guys this morning. Thank you, Pastor Christian and Alex. You guys, Valorize Church, I don't know if you guys know this, and you might not know Pastor Christian or Alex too much. They're phenomenal pastors. I'm just going to let you know right now. I, I, I know that, and I hope you know that. And we always want to love and honor our pastors. And, and when Christian asked me, he just said, hey, you want to come speak on Super Bowl Sunday? I'm like, sure, why not? Why, why, don't, we, why don't we come to Texas and speak? Why not? I mean, if the Saints were playing, I would have said, no way. I'm, I'm, right? But I'm like, ah, eh, they're not playing. We lost in a bad fashion. I probably need to get out of Louisiana for a time and, and, and just enjoy our time here in Texas. So what a privilege and honor it is to be with you this morning and to bring a little word to you. Uh, my hope isn't to just share my story. This isn't about, you know, oh, look at Chris Reese. Look what he did. Look at the onside kick, all those things. That's a platform for what I believe God wants to do. Amen, church? I believe that. And, and, if, and if we take our eyes off of the ring and off of the person and onto the person of Jesus, watch how he can change your life. I'm telling you right now. And so that's my hope this morning. But the, my NFL career was very, um, it was short. I say short, longer than average. I, I spent four years in the NFL with the New Orleans Saints. Um, I started with the Atlanta Falcons, um, and I had a short cup of coffee with them. Then I went over to NFL Europe and then spent the next four years with the New Orleans Saints where we ended up winning a Super Bowl. Now, never in my life did I believe I would ever win a Super Bowl, right? How many have dreams in their life as a kid you thought you were going to play professionally, right? I mean, it's okay. Guys are like, no, I never thought. You thought it. Don't lie. Every one of you are in the backyard thinking, my kids think that. And so it, it's, it's interesting that I was able to accomplish those things. Though I wasn't a super great athlete or I wasn't super smart or super strong, um, I believe God just put me in the right place, the right position. When you're doing the right thing, honoring the right person, and that's God, man, things end up going that way. And this is just a platform for what God is going to do. But every time I get that, that, that call, I get a call around this time, nine years Years ago today, think about this, nine years ago today, I was in that locker room knowing what those guys are thinking about. I was in that locker room uh, hearing the coach go through the speech. I was there in that locker room nine years ago. So I know what these guys are going through. I know what each team in Atlanta, I know what they're going through. I know the butterflies, the nervousness. I know the grandioso of the, the Super Bowl. I know all about those things. And even still today, because of one play, think about this for a second, one play, one play, nine years ago, the people are still calling me. ESPN just did a feature on me. They're gonna, they're gonna show later next year. And I'm like, they flew all the way out to Lafayette, Louisiana, and I'm going, why are you guys doing a story on me? Because I fell on one ball, right? Think about this for a second. I fell on one ball, and people call me a hero. And it's interesting, and I was under that pile for 63 seconds. And because of one ball that I fell on, and I landed on it, and sat there for 63 seconds, and got up, people call me a hero. And I, I, I'm humbled at that. 
I'm humbled that it gets me to places like Valley Rise Church where I can speak to an amazing congregation like you guys. I'm honored that it took me all the way down to Lafayette, Louisiana, where I could become a pastor, my calling, even though I didn't even know it was my calling. I'm honored and humbled that it takes me to those places. But how many know, like, I don't want to be remembered for an onside kick, y'all. Does it make sense? I love it. It's awesome. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be remembered for an onside kick. I had somebody tell me once time, you'll be remembered forever in folklore history. You heard Pastor Christian, right? Folklore history. That's great. But I don't want to just be remembered. I want to leave a legacy. There's a difference. There's a difference between being remembered and leaving a legacy. Because being remembered is all about you, the person. Do you remember me? Do you remember me? I'm going to do these things so I can be remembered. Leaving a legacy is all about other people. And so for us, I think that's sometimes tough for us to understand. Yes, I want to be remembered, but man, I want to leave a legacy. And this morning, as I was kind of praying through over the past couple of days, just, God, what, do you, what word do you want me to give to this church as they're growing, as they're starting? It's been a year. Congratulations on a year, guys. That is fantastic. Pastor Christian, Alex, you guys are awesome. And that's, that's amazing. A year. And as I was praying, what, God kind of brought me to something. He just said, I want, you to, I want you to speak on legacy. Because I think when we talk about legacy, sometimes we think it's so big, it's so lofty. Or here's what we think. And some, some of us young people, we know this. We're thinking, oh, I'll worry about that when I get older, right? Legacy is for older people at the end of their life. That's what they think. And it's not. Legacy starts today. And legacy started a while ago. And if we're not careful and we're not intentional with it, I'm telling you, you're gonna, you might be remembered for a little while, but you're not going to leave a legacy. You're not going to leave a legacy. And so I think sometimes we don't know, when we say that word legacy, we don't know either what to do or that we can do it. And so this morning, I, I want to preach on and I want to talk to you about not just leaving a legacy. I want to I talk to you about living an extraordinary legacy. Because I don't think you just leave it. I think you have to live it now intentionally. And I'll share a little bit of my story and what God has done through that. But I want to give you a word this morning. Because look at me. My words don't transform. God's word transforms. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to always step out of the way so that God can show up. Because I believe you're here for this reason. Whether you came to see the ring. Whether you came because you love the saints. Or you came because you just wanted to boo in my face. I'm totally fine with that. Either way. I'm totally fine with that. But I believe God brought you here for a reason to hear his word. I believe he brought you here to transform your life. And just like you heard in that video, to see that he has some amazing things he wants to call out of you. So I want us to look at this. I want us to look at, if you have your Bibles, that's, okay, uh, that's great. If you don't, no big deal. We're going to read it on the screen. I want to look at one of the first encounters between the apostle Peter and Jesus. And this is a big deal. Because encounters, relationships, right? We talk about uh, this series you guys are kind of jumping into relationships is really what legacy is all about. And when we look at relationships, we look at, at a great relationship with, between Peter and Jesus. And we see Peter here, one of the first encounters. And a lot of times a first encounter can be overlooked, Oh, well, yeah, we met and that was it. And when we read through the Bible, as we're going to read in Luke chapter 5 in just a second, I've read over it a million times. But then God started to show me something. He started to show me how, man, how you start can, can really significantly help you understand how a legacy is really built. How it's built. 
And so I want to jump in here, and I want to see that this small encounter was really a spark for an extraordinary legacy for the Apostle Peter and how that can help us. So let's read. We're going to read a story, just a, a conversation, an encounter between Peter and Jesus in Matthew, and I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, the first 11 verses. Here we go. And so now it happened that while the crowd was pressing in around him, that's Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gethsemane, verse 2, and he saw two boats lying at the edges of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And so Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken in. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. We ask for your presence here, Lord. I pray that as I bring your word, Lord, Father, I pray that I decrease so that you can increase, Lord. And so today, just stir hearts, Lord. We don't want to walk out of this building saying, what a great speaker, what great music, or what a great service. We want to walk out saying, what a great God that we serve. So speak to our hearts this morning. Give us revelation. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm an 80s kid. I grew up in the 80s, and I loved watching movies. And one of my favorite movies came out in 1984. And you guys might be familiar with it. I call it a classic. It should be in everyone's list of, of like top 10. That's what I'm just saying. It's a movie called The Karate Kid. How many have heard of that movie? Come on, somebody. The Karate Kid. I'm not talking about like the Jaden Smith Karate Kid. That's like fake Karate Kid. Some of the teenagers like think that's karate. I'm like, that's not Karate Kid. I'm talking Daniel LaRusso, Mr. Miyagi Karate Kid. You know, it is, it's a fantastic movie. And I remember that movie like it was yesterday. And I remember there was this one scene in the movie that I absolutely love where Daniel LaRusso, who's a teenage kid getting picked on, finds a sensei, uh, Mr. Miyagi, to go and train him to fight and defend himself. And so he asks him to train, and there's this encounter between Daniel and Mr. Miyagi in the movie. And it was right when he started training him. And if you remember, he started, his training was doing chores around the house. So Mr. Miyagi would come to him and say, hey, I want you to sand the floor. Hey, I want you to paint the fence. Hey, I want you to wax on, wax. Come on, y'all know it, right? We all know the movie. And so he'd started doing all of these chores, and there was this scene where, and I watched it the other day, Mr. Miyagi's walking by the house as Daniel LaRusso's painting it, and he just said, you missed a spot. And Daniel freaked out, right? He freaked out, he blew up, and he just said, you're not training me. All I've been doing is chores for your house, and I've been doing everything, but you haven't been training me at all. And Mr. Miyagi says something interesting. He said, Daniel, son, not everything is as it seems. And then there was this conversation between them. 
where he began to show Daniel, you guys remember this, right? He began to show Daniel what he was doing had purpose and value, right? He showed him how when you sand the floor, that would help him defend. He'd be like, Daniel's son, show me sand the floor, you know? I'm good at voices. Y'all, y'all, you can laugh. It's okay. They're like, that really sounds like Mr. Miyagi. I'm like, Daniel's son, sand the floor. Show me, sand the floor. And he would sand the floor, right? Show me, paint the fence. And he would paint the fence and then show me, wax on, wax off. And he would show wax on, wax off. And he would, you know, and then Mr. Miyagi started punching and kicking him. Ah, ah, ah. And all of a sudden, Daniel's son's using all of those moves, right? Sand the floor. He's blocking. He's, he's doing all of these things. You see, what Daniel didn't understand, what, what seemed meaningless and trivial at the time was doing something for him later on, y'all. What he didn't understand, that the little that he was doing in the moment was training him for something bigger and greater at the end. And sometimes, can I, can I just be honest? Sometimes we get stuck in the little things because we think it's not going to add up to a big thing. When many times in faith, what happens, it's the little steps that leave a big, extraordinary legacy. It's, it's, that's what happens. It's not the giant steps of faith where everybody's going, look at that person, they're amazing, they look like Jesus. Like, right, no, it's not those steps of faith. Usually it's the ones that are small that no one ever really sees, that no one ever notices. No, no one may notice how you greet somebody coming in. But it's those small steps you take that leave an extraordinary legacy. And so I love what Soren Kierkegaard says. He was a, a famous Danish philosopher. Here's what he said. He said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Think about that for a second. Life can only be understood looking back. When we're going through it, we're going like, man, this doesn't make sense. I'm doing all these little things and it's not doing much, God. What are you doing? When we look back, we're going, I'm a completely different person. And we look back and we see the faithfulness of God because we were faithful in the little that he gives us much. Amen, church? That he gives us much and we build much. We won't know the faith steps that you and I take today, the small, insignificant, meaningless steps that we take today end up doing something for us later when we look back on them, y'all. That we don't realize what's happening in the moment. But we look back and we say, what an extraordinary legacy that is. And many times, watch this, when we talk about legacy, we all get a little scared because we think it's all about like either giving money and it's like, oh, I don't have a million dollars I can't give, right? Or I'll never be Mother Teresa. Yeah, you and I both. Okay, we know that, all right. That you think you have to like shelter orphans and widows and do these big gestures. We think it's this grand gesture that leaves a big legacy. It's not. It's not. Think about this for a second. My mom was a single mom. My dad left when I was two years old. My mom was a single mom. She raised two boys. She was a teacher in Atlanta public schools. And we struggled. Financially, we struggled. But my mom, somebody asked me the other day in an interview, hey, besides, you know, uh, besides church and everything else, like who was, because you didn't have a father figure, who was that father figure in your life? And I just go, my mom. Because <laughs> she had to be, right? She had to be. And I said, my mom was a rock for us. She was a rock. She loved unconditionally. She did the best she could. And she did the little things that she didn't think was happening. I remember when she would pray for me and my brother, I would walk into her room when I was little and I would watch her praying on the bedside. You don't think that matters? You don't think that takes an effect on, on, a, on a boy who walks in? 
Oh, I see my mom get baptized with my great-grandfather at a small little Baptist church where I heard the gospel for the first time. Think about that for a second. Watching my mom take a step of faith, you don't think that did something to me? It's not the big gestures. It's usually the small little ones that you think nobody's watching that adds to an extraordinary legacy, y'all. That's usually what happens. And we don't understand it until we look back and go, oh. But life must be lived moving forwards. And so the question is, what does that look like for me and for you? What does that look like? And I, I want to look at the Apostle Peter in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 5. And I want to look at what seem to be small steps of faith. And if we pass over this this morning, we're going to miss this, is that his example of small steps of faith added to an extraordinary legacy they have. And I believe that can apply to us today. So I want to give you three things. I want to give you three things, three ordinary faith steps to living an extraordinary legacy. So if you're taking notes this morning on a phone, iPad, if you're old school and taking it on a, on a tap, uh, on a piece of paper and a pen, I'm cool with that. We welcome that in here. That's a, that's a useful instrument and tool, right? But whatever it is, you want to take pictures of it, I'm totally fine with that. But I want you to write these down because I, I think it's big. Here's what we're going to learn from this This his. Uh, the Apostle Peter's lesson. Number one, right here, if you want to live an extraordinary legacy, it starts with a small yes. Everybody say yes. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say yes. Turn to your other neighbor who you don't like and say yes. See what you did there? You didn't even notice. Some of y'all just went right over your head. It's too early in the morning. You're like, it's 10 o'clock. You just said you didn't like your, in the name of Jesus, we forgive you. Okay. Say yes. Doesn't it feel good to say yes? I, I'm, I'm so blessed because I, I, uh, I've been married for almost 12, 12 years now. We have uh, four beautiful babies right now, a fifth one on the way. Y'all pray for us. Y'all pray for us. Yes, Lord Jesus. So our fifth one's due in March in about six weeks. Um, we have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, an almost four-year-old, and a two-year-old. Y'all pray for my wife. Pray for my wife. But we are so blessed. But like having young kids or if you have young cousins or nephews or sisters or brothers, like young kids, they say no all the time, right? Am I right? It's like we have this affinity from birth that the first word isn't mom or dad, it's no, right? My two-year-old, I'm like, hey, bud, will you get in the bath? He's like, no. I'm like, okay, great. Eat your broccoli. He's like, no. And I'm like, cool, cool. Hey, stop hitting your brother and sister. No. And I'm like, cool. do you love your mom and dad? No. You know, I feel like it's no. Know all the time. And so Peter here, and if we miss this, Peter here starts with a small yes. It starts with a small yes. We see in verse 2 and verse 3, let me set the scene for you because Peter is washing his nets. You remember? He's washing his nets and Peter and Jesus walks up. Jesus doesn't really know Peter and Peter doesn't know Jesus, but he walks up to him and this crowd is pressing in on him and he asks, watch this, he asks a very small question. And he said, Peter, can I, can I get in your boat and can I use it? And can you push out a little bit? Now, as he got into Peter's boat, Peter could have said, hey, crazy man, get out of my boat. I'm done with you. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what these people are doing here. He could have said that. Remember, it was inconvenient because he was washing his nets. He was doing something else. And someone, Jesus, the son of God, who Peter didn't know that, walked up and he said, can I use your boat and can you push out a little bit? Peter could have said no, couldn't he have? He could have said, no, it's inconvenient right now. I'm not going to do that. That's just too much for me. 
I, I don't want to even, that's just like, who are you? Why are you weird? Why are these people following you? Do you have a cult? What is this? You know, he could have easily said that to Jesus. We look back and go, he's the son of God. It makes sense. Like I would say yes to anything that Jesus tells me to do. But sometimes we miss the small yes that makes a difference. So what if, watch this, what if Peter would have said no? You know what, let's not even think about Peter. Let's go back in the Bible. What if Abraham would have said no when God called him out to go to another land? What if Moses, when, when God said, go save your people, go back and, and help my people get out of Egypt, what if he would have said no? What if you have somebody like Noah who said, God said, build an ark. It's never rained before. He, would, he should have said no. What if he would have said no? So what if Peter would have said no? You see, I believe this, that in our walk, in the context of faith, in our walk with Jesus, anytime we say no to a next step, it always leads to regret. Always. I've never met anyone that said, man, I regret coming to church today. Dang it. Why did I go to church? You know, I've never met anyone that just says, I regret meeting somebody special and getting into a small group and getting into growth track and jumping on the dream team. I regret serving at the church. No one regrets those things. You regret when you say, no, I didn't start and do that earlier. That I wish I would have got involved. I wish I would have taken my next step. Parents, I wish I would have been more intentional with my time with my kids been left a better legacy for them to live by. But we look back and say, man, no only leads to regrets in the context of faith. And it's interesting because Peter said, yes. He says, yes, get in my boat. You can do that. And if that small step of faith of saying yes, maybe what's maybe saying yes to your next step. What could that do to your faith? What could that do to your faith and the people around you? What could that do to where you are? Because a small yes, watch this, a small yes can lead to a big legacy. I believe that. I believe that. I believe a small yes can lead to a big legacy. You know, when I was in, when I was in middle school, my, my, my parents, my mom, my mom went to church every now and then. We called ourselves cheesters. We Christmas and Easter people. Um, cheesters, it sounds like a derogatory term. It's not. It's very, it's okay. But we, we did. We went then and we would, we would go every now and then. Well, my mom started going to a different church. And I was like, I stopped going to church with her. I was like, I'm not going. But she asked me on Mother's Day, this is crazy. I was in high school. She asked me, said, hey, on Mother's Day, because all moms bring their kids to church on Mother's Day. It's crazy. Like, what do you want me to do for you, mom? Come to church with me? Oh, man. You know, and we got to go to church. And I remember I went to church with my mom on that day to a small Baptist church. I mean, it's like, it's literally this middle section here. That's how big it was. Tiny, built in the 1800s in Georgia. That's where I'm from. And we we were, we came in there. It was really weird. I'm not going to lie. The choir was bigger than the congregation. The choir was the congregation. It was just awkward. And I was just like, oh gosh, why am I here right now? And I remember, watch this. That was the first time I've ever heard the gospel. True gospel being preached. Something changed and happened to me that day. I didn't give my life to Jesus. I didn't say yes. But watch this. I said small yes to my mom. That small yes to my mom going to church led me to hearing the gospel, which then led me when I was 17 years old to receive Christ, 
to be born again in my car, to change the direction and trajectory of my life forever. I would not be here today without that small yes going to church with my mom. It's a small yes. My kids are affected by it. My wife is affected by it because I said yes to an invitation to church. My question to you is what's your yes? What, are you, what have you been waiting on? What have you been pushing off? What have you been saying, just going like, yeah, Valley Rise Church is cool, but I don't know if I want to jump all in yet. They're st they still have like, they're still meeting in a high school and it's like there's signs outside and stuff. Maybe you're pushing that off. What's your yes that you've been waiting on? Maybe it's jumping into a small group or leading a small group, stepping out and doing those things. This is really big because some of you are going to leave here, you're going to go home, you're going to process through this and you're going to go, what is my yes? Or some of you already know your yes. You're just waiting for somebody to give you a little push. Well, consider this a little bit of a push, okay? Take your next step. Begin to leave your legacy. Because Peter said yes to getting in the boat. And that's what he did. But can I tell you why most, most of us don't say yes? Let me just be real honest. It's because we're afraid to fail. We're afraid to fail. We think that if we join the dream team or go through growth track, we think that if we reconcile that relationship that we could fail in that. We believe that we could fail in the eyes of God. I love what Francis Chan said. Here's what he said. He said, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter, y'all. Succeeding, the, the fear that we should have should be of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. It don't really matter. It's a small yes that leads to a big legacy. So start with a yes. Number two. Number two, write this down. Take steps of faith, not steps of logic. Take steps of faith, not steps of logic. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? Let me explain to you real quick. Luke chapter 5, verse 4, here's what it said. When he, that's Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for the catch. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, that sounds like a fisherman. That was what Peter did, right? How is that not logic? How is that faith? Uh, let me explain to you because most people miss this context. I'll set the stage for you. In the first century, in the Bible, when they talk about fishermen, they're not talking about the fishermen that we know that go out there, yeah, rod and lure and zzz, and they just sit there. Some of you have bobbers. I'm cool with that. You, you wait on it, you know, and they have bait. Back then, here's what they did. They fished in shallow water at night, and they would get a net, and they would then smother the fish and bring them up. That's how they would do it. So it would be shallow water. So essentially, Jesus... Let me add this, who is a carpenter, doesn't make any sense, right? Is telling a fisherman to do the opposite of what he's known for his whole life to do. I'm gonna set the stage once again. Jesus comes in, he's a carpenter, tells a fisherman to do completely opposite of what he's done his whole life and has been trained to do. Instead of shallow water at night, it was during the day and he said, go deep and cast your nets. It didn't make any sense, y'all. It didn't make any sense why Peter should have gone, okay, let's do this, right? It didn't make any sense to be able to do that. And logically, you don't go out into deep waters with a net. And he had just washed his nets. If you remember in verse 2, he had just washed his nets. Why would he go out and do it again? It makes no sense. But listen to me here. This is big. If you are a believer in Jesus, a born-again believer, we are not called to follow logic. We are called to follow Jesus. 
Now listen here. That does not mean that we're just going to go out and just go, I'm going to go crazy then, yeah, you know, and just do whatever we want. That's not what I'm saying. God gave us a mind so we could think logically. I believe that. But I also believe he's given us a heart and a spirit to feel where the spirit, the Holy Spirit is leading. And sometimes that doesn't make sense, y'all. Sometimes it doesn't make sense that an ex-football player will become a pastor. What? I never wanted to be a pastor. Didn't want to run a church. Didn't want to be a part of church. Didn't care. I just wanted to help people. It didn't make sense why me and my family would move our entire family down from Georgia, where all of our family, my wife's family, everybody is up in that area. Why would I move all the way to Lafayette, Louisiana. Let me just say something really honest. I didn't know where Lafayette, Louisiana even was. I'm just letting you know that. I didn't know. And so it doesn't make sense. And it's so funny. I told the story because my mom, when I told my mom that me and my wife decided we needed to move down to Lafayette, Louisiana, we felt a calling from God to work at Our Savior's Church. We didn't know what that meant, didn't know what it would be. Here's, here's what she said to me. I love my mom. My mom's a faithful mother. She goes, that's not true. That's not true. And I said, Mom, I know you're upset. Because I'm her baby. So it's like, she goes, that's not true. I don't, I don't think that's from God. She literally said that. She goes, I don't think it's from God. And I just looked at her and I said, I love you, Mom. You know? Because it didn't make sense. Logically, it would have been easy to go, it doesn't make sense. And for Peter, he was looking at it going, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it anyway. Things don't always have to make sense when you step out in faith. Because that's what faith is. The world sees it as crazy. You see it as faithfulness, y'all. That's the difference. That's the difference. I was in the NFL for four years, and NFL is a cutthroat world. I mean, it is a dog-eat-dog world. I remember stepping in there from college in the NFL, and I'm just looking at it going like, no one cares about you. No one asks ask about you. Like, it's like you're coming in to take food off my table. I'm trying to take someone else's job. How crazy is that? That's how they make a living, and I'm trying to take food off their table. And so it's very common for it to be cutthroat between positions and as you're coming in in training camp. And I remember after my first year when I made the team, I was on the squad, everything else. And I'm just thinking to myself, God, what do you have me here for? What do you have me and my wife here for? And we prayed about it over the offseason and came back. And we just felt like we were supposed to serve new people coming in. It was crazy. We just felt like we were supposed to serve people. And so as rookies or veterans would come in, and I knew they were coming in to take my job, and I was okay with it. I would go up to them, and this would like freak them out. A little bit of mind games too, right? But I would go up to them, I'd go, Hey, man, hey, welcome. Hey, if you need anything, dude, I'm here to serve you. And I'm telling you right now, like, they look at me and they'd be like, what? Why, why would you say that? I'm just here to serve you. Whatever you need. If you need to know a place to eat, good place to live. Hey, if your girlfriend or wife is here, I'd love to introduce you to my wife and they could get together. Because I know how lonely it is. And I know how, how it can feel coming into the NFL. And I just want to serve you. I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. And you would see an automatic change in them. You see, it didn't make sense why I would do that. Logically, it doesn't make sense. But I knew God was calling me to something greater and something bigger to serve someone greater. That my security wasn't in what I did, but who I was from God. And that was big. That was big for those guys. And it was big for me. Because every time we step out in faith, we're not stepping out blindly, y'all. Let me say this again. There's no such thing as blind faith. What do you mean, Pastor? You're a pastor. You can't say those things. Yes, there's no such thing as blind faith because every time we step out, it's founded on the promises of God. You're not stepping blindly. You're stepping onto the promises of God. 
It's a big deal. You're stepping onto the promises of God. So there may be a step of faith, but there's no blind faith. I'm never walking aimlessly. I know where I'm going. I know who my Savior is. I know what that looks like. And when I step out, I'm believing that his word is going to catch me because every time I take a step, he's right there. That's what his word says. So every time you take a step, you're, God, you said you'll never leave me or forsake me. In your relationship with your parents or with your spouse, that you need to forgive them. God, you said that vengeance is yours and yours alone. I don't need to, my enemies are not my enemies. I'm gonna pray for them. Every single time we step on the word of God, we don't step blindly. We step with faith, with faith. And we are called to follow logic. I mean, we're called to follow Jesus, not logic. So begin to take steps of faith that creates your legacy that you are living. Steps of faith create a legacy. Steps of faith create a legacy. And for Peter, that was a step of faith for him to go, boom, I'm going to cast my net into deep water even though it doesn't make sense. It's a step of faith. I might look stupid in front of all my partners following this man, but for some reason, I'm called to listen to him, so I'm going to listen. Steps of faith. Follow steps of faith, not logic. You know, I think it's a trust. I think it's a choice thing whether we choose to trust God or not. And that really shows what we are all about. And when it comes to choices, it really shows you what you treasure. You know, having young kids, if you have young kids or if you know of people who have young kids, especially a lot of kids, you try to take vacations with young kids, it's a nightmare. Let me just be honest with you. Can I get honest in church this morning? It's a nightmare. It's not a vacation. It's work. It's work. And I'm okay with that. And so me and my wife were lofty enough to think we're going to take our kids to the beach we're going to go on a vacation. We live in Louisiana. You know, it's like we're going to drive to the panhandle of Florida. We're going to go to the beach. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be like a lifetime movie. We're all skipping and frolicking on the beach, you know, holding hands. And there's going to be a montage, a video montage. And, we're going to, and it's going to be like the Reese family vacation 2018, you know, and, and like all this. And it's going to be awesome. And we think it. And we drive there. And it's, it's crazy. We go and we, we go, like, let's go to the beach. Let's go to the ocean. They're like, okay. The kids are excited. They've never been. As soon as they step on, they're like, daddy, it's sandy. And it's sandy. It's sandy right here. And I was like, it's called the beach. It's supposed to be sandy. It's getting in my toes. And, and, they, and they just start complaining. All of them do. All four of them would start complaining. It's unbelievable how, like, it's contagious. They just, and then one of them falls down and then, like, gets sand in the mouth. I don't know how you do that, but you get sand in your mouth. And then the other one, like, I'm like, well, okay, don't worry about the sand. Let's go to the water, the water. And they're like, yeah, the water, the waves. And they're like, it's salty, Daddy, it's salty. And I'm like, it's the ocean, and they're like, it's, it's gross. And then one's stuffing sand in the diaper and the other one's screaming and crying. The other one has the legs up like this and wants me to hold it because they don't want to touch the ground at all. Because if they touch the sand, it feels too weird. But they can't walk in flip-flops. So it is a nightmare. 30 minutes in and we're done. We're like, let's go. They go, can we go to the pool? And we're like, we're to the pool, yeah. And they go to the pool. And so we get into the pool. And then, I am kid you not, 97% of our vacation at the beach was spent at a pool. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, I didn't spend all of this money, drive all of this way to do something we could have done at home or around our house. Come on, somebody. I'm just like, this is crazy. And you know what I realize is that kids, they'll choose. Watch this. They would choose, they would choose the man-made over the God-designed every time because they don't know what true treasure is. 
They would rather stay in the safety zone, the comfort zone where it feels comfortable. I know this than to go into something unknown, unexplored, into the vastness of God's beauty. And they can't see it because kids are immature like that. And that's what number three is. And I'm going to close with this. Number three is we have to do this. We have to choose the true treasure. That unlike those kids, we can't just stay in what's comfortable. We have to be okay jumping out into the unknown. Because if you stay in the man-made, you'll be comfortable. You'll be safe. But if you want to step into the God-designed, it's going to take effort. It's going to be uncomfortable. And it's what Peter had to do. Because he was hauling in. Watch this. He was hauling in a catch of a lifetime. Think about this. Hauling in the catch of a lifetime. It said that the nets were beginning to break. He had to call his boys over and said, hey, y'all, look at this. Filled both boats, and they almost began to sink. And the Bible says, with amazement, with amazement, Peter was just like, look at this catch of fish. For a fisherman back then, he probably was like, dude, I'm going to retire. I'm done, right? He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm living on the beach from now on. This is my retirement. It could have been easy for Peter to choose that treasure. It could have been easy for Peter to settle for what God had put in front of him. And I believe sometimes we settle for the treasure that we have instead of going for the treasure that God wants for us, y'all. And the true treasure is not easy to get. And there is a true treasure. Because treasure isn't found in the things of this world. It is found in the people of this world, y'all. The true treasure that Jesus was talking about to Peter at the end, he said, you will be fishers of men. You think you caught a lot of fish? Watch this. I'm going to catch, you're going to catch people. You're going to do something greater in this life than just sit here and make money and catch fish. You do that for a living, I'm going to give you a calling, y'all. You see, when we choose true treasure, it's not things, it's always people. Listen to this. Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago to die on a cross so we could have money. He came to die on a cross so we could get people, y'all. He wanted people. It's the true treasure. And Peter chose that. He decided to leave instant gratification and go, I'm not choosing this treasure. I'm walking away. I'm going to choose the ultimate treasure, the treasure that you want. When my dad left when I was two years old, I didn't have much of that father figure in my life. And it was hard. I, I tried to prove myself through performance so much, through accolades and awards. And when I became a Christian at 17 years old in August of 2001, things changed in my life. My dad was battling a lot of addictions. He was kind of in and out of our lives so much. And when I went off to Georgia Tech, I played football at Georgia Tech, and I became heavily involved in Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I was the president there for four years. And, man, God grew my faith so much. And as soon as I got to Georgia Tech, God put my dad in my heart, and he said, I want you to pray for your father every night. And I would pray on my knees every night, God, save my dad. If my dad could experience a relationship, not the religion, not the rules, if he could experience a relationship, I know he'd be changed and transformed. I know he'd be forever different. And I prayed, and I prayed, and God said, I want you to seek after true treasure. I want you to seek after, don't go after the fame you might get in football. Go after the, the, the true treasure that I want out of your father. And so I began praying for him. My senior year of Georgia Tech, I, I invited my dad to a FCA prayer breakfast. 
It wasn't church, but it was church, y'all. Yeah, how many know? It was hidden church. And we invited the parents breakfast. We invited the parents there. And I invited my dad. Didn't know if he would show up. He ended up showing up. And he came in and he was 47 years old. I didn't know the demons he was battling at that time. A lot of addictions. And we got there. My, my mentor, our team chaplain, Derek Moore, began just preaching an amazing message. Amazing message. And I looked down the I looked down the, the middle of the row. My dad's sitting in the middle of the row by himself, and he's sobbing. Sobbing. I don't think I'd ever seen my dad cry before. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is either really good or really bad. Afterwards, he comes and he comes right up to me, beeline straight for me, right after the service. And I didn't know if he was going to kick me, punch me, kiss me. I didn't know what he was going to do, hug me. And at 47 years old, he said to his 21-year-old son, he said, I'd love to know more about this Jesus thing. And he called it a Jesus thing. For the next three months, me and my dad walked together. I led him to the Lord, and I saw him discipled. I saw chains break off of his life. But listen to me now. It's because... I wanted to choose what God wanted, which was true treasure, and that's people. Living a legacy is never about what we have or what we don't have. That'll pass away. The judgment that we have isn't going to go, how big was your house? How many cars did you have? Did you make a nice income? Great, come into my kingdom. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with that? Did you help? Did you use that treasure to get the true treasure that I love? Did you catch people? And that's not a burden to put on any of us. It's a love that we have in our hearts for people. And Peter knew that. And Peter responded to that. Here's the cool thing, and I'm closing right here, is that we get to see Peter's legacy. We get to see how those small steps, right, those small steps of faith of saying yes, small steps of just going, I'm not going to follow logic. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to take a step out. We get to see the legacy that Peter left. Because we have the Bible, we have the Word. You know what's cool? As you see a few years after this encounter between Peter and Jesus, you see the, the legacy that he left and how he went after true treasure to catch people. Because in Acts chapter 2, we see that Jesus had died, went up into heaven. I mean, I'm sorry, he died, resurrected came down, said, hey, I'm here with you, went back up to heaven. The Holy Spirit came down. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost comes. And it said tongues of fire would come upon each of the apostles and they would speak in languages. And Peter got up. Watch this. Peter got up. A guy who denied Jesus three times. A guy who said small yes to getting in his boat. A guy who said, this isn't logical, but I'm going to cast my net. A God who said, yes. A guy who said, I'm going to catch true treasure instead of this treasure right in front of me gets up and begins to have his greatest sermon, his greatest message ever. And he begins preaching to thousands of people there in Jerusalem. And I love it. Here's what Acts says. Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and 41. It says, with many other words, he, that's Peter, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's 3,000 souls that went from spiritual death to spiritual life. Why? Because one person chose to take the small steps to live an extraordinary legacy. 
one person. And can I tell you, watch this. It all started with a small yes. It all started with Peter just saying yes. Yes to Jesus, get in my boat. And when he said yes to Jesus, get in my boat, he was saying, yes, I'm gonna enter into a relationship with you. Do you know that's what God has always wanted with you and me? He's always just wanted a relationship. He doesn't want religion. He doesn't want rules put on you. He just wants a relationship. And when we enter that relationship, it's called being born again, right? You have a physical birthday where you're born once. Well, you have a spiritual birthday where you're born once. Mine was August of 2001. It's where I know I made a definitive decision not to play games in church, not to just say, oh, I like Jesus. I heard about him. I've always been a Christian. No one's always a Christian from birth. Let me just say that right now, right? Just because, and some people think because you walk into church that you're a Christian. Listen to me right now. Come, being in church doesn't make you a Christian just like standing in a garage doesn't make you a car, okay? Doesn't make you a Christian. Those are all good things, but it's not the start of your spiritual journey. The start is not when you know God here, it's when you know God here. It's called being born again. And listen to this, it's as simple as ABC. God makes it so simple for us. It's as simple as ABC. A, we just admit, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I sin every day and I need you, God that we be, believe that what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, his blood was enough to cover our sins. And see, we just confess him as Lord, that means boss and savior, Messiah over our life. One decision, a small yes. Maybe today, today, could be that day you say, today is my spiritual birthday. Today, I'm born again. Would you bow your heads with me as we close right now? For the last 30 seconds this morning, maybe you're here and you're going, I've never been born again. I've been in church a lot or I've done the church thing a lot, but I've never really made a decision to be born again. I've never made a definitive decision to be born again. Today, I wanna give you that opportunity with all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up or run down front or make a proclamation. But in just a second, if you're gonna, you're gonna say, Pastor Chris, I, I wanna be born again today. How do I do that? Well, I'm just gonna say a prayer. We're all actually gonna say a prayer together. And that prayer doesn't save you, it's your faith that saves you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're going, Pastor Chris, include me in that prayer. Include me in that prayer. With all heads bowed, all eyes goes. I don't want you to care what they think around you, who they are. This is between you and God to say, today is gonna be my spiritual birthday. Today, I want to know that when I die, the first face I see is gonna be the face of Jesus. And I know that I'm not just gonna get to heaven, but I'm gonna have heaven here on earth in a relationship with Jesus. But if that's you here this morning, I just want you to slip your hand up real quick. Just so me, I'm the only one saying, I see you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, awesome. You can put your hands down. One last time, the last five seconds. If you raise your hand once, you don't have to do it again, but you go, I should have raised my hand. That's me, I wanna be born again today. If you raise your hand once, you don't have to do it again, but if that's you, I want you to raise your hand now. I see you, thank you, sir, I see you. Awesome, thank you. Well, come on, church. We're all gonna say this prayer together with those hands that were raised. Repeat after me, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me 
so you would not have to feel, I would not have to go there. And rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Can we give God a hand, y'all? Come on. Thank you. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.